make reference to the last chapter of these Gospels, you know what we're going to talk about. The resurrection of our Savior is recorded in each of these Gospels. Matthew 28 is where I'd like to spend the beginning of our service here. The first ten verses. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified, he is not here. For he has risen just as he said. Come see the place that he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Heavenly Father, we have your word open before us here this morning, an appropriate place for us to go when we want to speak of the resurrection of our Savior You have recorded it for us four times over so we would be convinced, absolutely sure, and we are. Your word says so. Our faith in you says so. You have never, never told us something that wasn't true. And so we come here this morning with glad hearts, with rejoicing hearts, with triumphant hearts in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. And as we spend some time in your word today, warm our hearts like you did with the amazed disciples. Encourage us today, Lord, in these words, in Jesus' name, amen. I had this quote uh, I found the other day, and I thought, wow, what a good statement this is. The Gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the Gospels. Belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. Now there are words that uh, we see that are extreme opposites. The title of the series that I've been on in Psalm 22 has been the anguish and joy of a soul. Anguish and joy, you can't get too much more extreme than that, can you? Anguish, sorrow, pain, suffering, torture, agony, torment, distress, grief. All of those are listed as the synonyms of anguish. And all of them stand in a total contrast to the word joy. Joy. Death. 
life. Can't get more contrasted than that, can you? The anguish, the death, the joy, and the life all collided in one weekend. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How do you put those in the same sentence? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, you cannot have joy, nor can you sit down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God unless there's a resurrection from the dead. That must be. So I'm not spending my morning with you to prove a resurrection. The fact of it speaks for itself. We hold to it in our faith. We treat it as the anchor of our hope. It's the center of our message. It's a guarantee of our eternal life. But it is our joy as well. It is our joy. You have heard it said, weeping may last for the night, The joy comes in the morning. Now we have followed the anguish of our Savior through Psalm 22, as David has pictured that for us. Let's go over there this morning again, and once more hear the the desperate cries and pleas of, of a man who thought that God had abandoned him. As he began that uh, psalm, David, in the midst of some intense, intense danger, he was sure he would lose his life. He was surrounded by his enemy. And he shouts out in such a cry, the very first words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was sure that he had been abandoned. He was left there to die. He even said it later in the psalm. He says, you have laid me in the dust of death. He takes on the opinion of those who hate him. He says in verse number 6, I am a worm, not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. And all who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag with the head. And he hears their mocking words. Commit yourself to the Lord, they say. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. And yet, he's surrounded by these enemies. And it appears that his life is over. Verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. As a ravening and a roaring lion. Verse 16, he says, For the dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hand and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. His fate is inevitable. Without help, he would die. He goes to say in verse 14, verse 15, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. 
It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. Yet, all he can do is launch up this frantic plea before God. Help! Help! Verse 11, Be not far from me, he says. For trouble is near and there's none to help. Verse 19, But you, O Lord... Be not far off, O you my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me, he says, from the lion's mouth, from the horn of the wild oxen, you answer me. Now as we've worked our way through this psalm, we've seen the similarities between this and the experience of Christ on the cross. The shout of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The fact that his hands and feet were pierced. The fact that they cast lots for his garments. The fact that he was surrounded too by his enemy who mocked him and even said those same kind of words. You trust in God. Why don't you come down from that cross? You are the Son of God. Why don't you prove it to us and come down from that cross? He heard those words. Matter of fact, he's really the epitome of these things that David experienced here. But suddenly, this psalm that is thoroughly a lament, the first 21 verses, has a sudden change in verse 22. Matter of fact, it is so drastic of a contrast between the anguish and the joy that some scholars believe that there were two different authors for this book. Somebody else had to write the second part, because it couldn't have been the first one. So they assumed that maybe he took two psalms and stuck them together here. Or it's expressing two different experiences of two different people. But no, it's the same man. This is David. The one who was very sure he was about to die. Something has happened. In verse number 22 and on to verse 31, listen to these words, he says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He is not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him when he cried to him for help. He heard. For you, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. For your kingdom is the Lord's. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Does that sound like the same man? 
who started this psalm, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the same David who has begged for help and received it. And he wants to make it known to everyone around him that this is what God has done. If you go over to Psalm 30, just a couple of pages further, you see the expressions again of David in the first five verses of that psalm. This is a theme he likes to repeat. He says in Psalm 30, I will extol you, O God, for you have lifted me up. You have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up. You brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night. You've now seen it. But a shout of joy comes in the morning. See, David didn't view his rescue as merely released from trouble and threat. His deliverance was not met with a sigh of release. It was met with a shout of joy. Because the Lord preserved him. The Lord preserved him. As we just saw in these verses, verse 22-31 in Psalm 22. The Lord preserved him. And so he says, I will tell of your name. I will praise you. I will speak to all who are here. The kingdom is the Lord's. He rules the nations. But I especially like the message in verse 31. At the very end of that psalm, this is the message he declares. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. And then he says that he has done it. He has done it. Is there anything less we proclaim this morning? He has done it. You can hear the angels proclaim that, can't you? As they're sitting there in the garden tomb, and the ladies come to that place, and They announced to them, He is not here, for He is risen, just as He said. Come and see the place where He was lying. You could put in there, He has done it. You can hear it on the words of the ladies as they they run back to the disciples in Luke 24. It's recorded in verse 9 and 10 that they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were with them Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them. And they were telling these things to the apostles. Their message was simple. He had done it. He had done it. Do you realize the disciples would not believe them? They were told and they didn't believe them. And then another couple of disciples came from Emmaus. You know that story as well. And they came and reported that they had just seen Jesus. And Mark records that they did not believe that. Amazing, isn't it? They would not believe. Here the message keeps coming to them. He has done it. He has risen. He has done it. He has risen. You can hear this later, though, 
after Peter and the others saw the risen Lord, the change in that man. Acts chapter number 2, he's standing before thousands of Jews on that great day of Pentecost and proclaiming a message of the risen Lord. And in his words, he says so clearly to them, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. Can you imagine standing there 40 days after they had done that, looking right at them, pointing up little prophetic finger, you nailed to a cross. That's not the end of the story, is it? You nailed him to a cross by the hands of a godless man, and you put him to death. But God raised him from the dead putting an end to the agony of death since it's impossible for him to be held in its power. You can hear Peter say, He has done it. He has done it. You can hear it in the midst of a group of scholars that met in Athens debating great thoughts. And there stood the Apostle Paul. And he starts to speak to them about the God they didn't even know. And as he's explaining him, Jesus Christ, to them, he says he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, furnishing proof to all men by raising him from the dead. What was the central point of his message? He has done it. He's risen from the dead. That's our battle cry, isn't it, in the gospel? He has done it. That's our Christian faith. He has done it. Despair did not win. Death is not a victor. The fangs have been pulled out. The sting has been broken. Anguish and abandonment are not our themes, but rather joy. Glory to God. He has done it. He has done it. Listen to these words again in Psalm 22 in light of our response to a resurrected Lord. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Wouldn't that be great if that was true? Right now in our generation, to see the world turn to Christ as Savior. Beautiful. All the ends of the earth will remember. Turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations. 
All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. He has performed it. This is a promise. A promise that was given to the Son by the Father. Most of the time when we go through Isaiah 53, we see the incredible torture and anguish of one who has been sacrificed for us. It's even titled the suffering servant in my, in my passage here in the Bible. As we see that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he was despised, he was crushed, he was pierced, he was chastened, he was scourged. All these words so clearly speak of his crucifixion. And yet, Isaiah 53 in verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. What does that tell you? If he gives himself up to die, he will see the results. What is needed for that to happen? A resurrection. It's the only way you can see the results after you die. You must be risen. He will see the, the offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. You know, for all the joy that we bring to this day for what he has done for us, I don't think I fully understand the joy that he has, that he had looked to, that joy that was set before him when he endured the cross. The joy of a resurrected Savior. It says here, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. You have to be alive to intercede. And that's what he does now, right? He intercedes for us. Because he's alive forevermore. There were so many great things that we could bring up this morning about the, the joy that we have because he is risen. But what a contrast three days has brought. It's amazing. As we think this through, for scripture makes it clear, all the planning of this event from the beginning of time that Christ should die and rise again. All the prophecies we read in the scripture, all the years that are spanned, all the preparation that has gone into this. Finally, a baby is born. And some 30 years later, we find him preaching. We have him speaking about the kingdom of God. We have him speaking about the death that is to be his, the agony he then experiences. 
the cross he is nailed to, the grave he is buried in, and the resurrection. And the resurrection. All that time that spans the planning and the actual fulfillment of that. And now, think of it, this is great. We could turn to him by faith and instantly be changed. Instantly from death to life. Instantly from lost to found. Instantly delivered. Instantly adopted into the child of God. Instantly joint heirs with Christ. Instantly possessors of hope, recipients of grace, beneficiaries of mercy. Instantly. We don't even have to wait three days. It's done. It's done. He has done it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're not waiting for that life. It is ours in Christ Jesus. It is ours right now. No waiting. It's a gift. He has done it. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In three days? No. Instantly. You confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Oh, this is what he's done for us. I love the words in the book of Philippians when it describes what he's endured for us. Chapter 2, he says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, those who are in earth, those who are under the earth, those who are in Hillsdale. That's not there, but it is. Every tongue will confess. You've got one of those? tongue? Every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has done it. He has done it. Those are the last words of a psalm that sounded so hopeless. He has done it. As we put him into a grave on, a, uh, on an evening before the Passover, there was hopelessness, there was despair, there was grief, there was sorrow, there was torment, there was pain. Three days later, there's joy. 
He has done it. When we walk about today, we celebrate He has done it. Not just a historical fact, but you believe in Him through faith? That is the message of your life. He has done it. He has saved me. He has saved me. And I trust that's where you are this morning. Because it says, Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't want you to go through this day or even the next 20 minutes without knowing that there is a Savior who died for you and rose again. And He can and will save you when you call on Him. He can do it. He can do it. Trust Him this morning. If you don't know Him now, just talk to Him. He's alive. He can hear you. And He doesn't despise you. He doesn't turn away the afflicted. He hears when they call. Because He has done it. Just call out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, for what You have done for me, I accept that by faith. I believe who You are and what You've done for me. I accept You as my Savior. Talk about joy. They say that angels in heaven just rejoice. I don't know what that sounds like. I can't wait to hear it. But I'm very sure it's pretty loud. I'm very sure that they know how to sing for joy. We ought to sing for joy too, for He has done it. Heavenly Father, what a great way for us to start our day today to reflect on the fact that our Savior is a victor. The death is not a threat. The tomb is not the end. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we shall go to be with Him forever. These tongues of ours and these knees of ours, we willingly bow before You and proclaim that You are Lord. You have done it. And we give you the glory today. This is our joy. This is our praise. We lift it up before you with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.